When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. To say that Tiffany Dufu has had a stressful 10 days is a giant understatement. Because Tiffany had all of her company's money at Silicon Valley Bank. It's been very intense. <laughs> it began last week, late Wednesday, early Thursday, with investors sending us messages about the decline and ultimately the collapse of SVB. In 2018, Tiffany founded The Crew, which matches women with peer coaches and also works with companies to try to keep women in the workforce. What was that moment like when you were trying to get money out? I want you to imagine, you know, when you put money in a bank, you don't imagine that you're taking a risk. Just imagine that the money that is in your bank account right now, that you go to it, you can see that there's a balance, but you can't do anything with the money. You can't transfer anything out. You can't get access to it. If you went to an ATM, you put your card in, you can't get money out, and you're hearing on the news and you're getting messages about the collapse of the bank. That feeling that you're imagining, that is how I felt. Um, of last Thursday and last Friday. Tiffany's company also occupies a rare space when it comes to raising money. According to Crunchbase, Black founders got less than 1% of the venture capital funds raised last year. I've pitched to nearly 200 investors in order to raise the $5 million that I have over the past few years. And I'm one of the fortunate ones. There's less than 100 Black women who have ever raised that much venture capital. And so, as you can imagine, the dollars that are in the bank account are precious dollars <laughs> that were very, very hard earned and that we need in order to continue our mission. Tiffany had previously been a Bank of America customer, but she says she kept the cruise money at SVB because it was just what people in the industry seemed to do. My assumption was that given that nearly all of my investors were banking with SVB, that every time I spoke to a tech founder, they were banking with SVB, that me moving my money over to SVB would remove some friction. You could certainly call what happened to Silicon Valley Bank last week friction. There was a bank run, the institution failed, and the feds had to come in and take it over. Since the government announced on Sunday that SVB depositors could get their money, Tiffany is breathing easier. But she's still pretty rattled by the whole experience. What do you think you all will do now? What happens to, to your company's bank accounts? So we, I needed to make payroll. That was my highest priority. I did take funds out of my personal savings account in order to ensure that we met payroll for our employees in that short of time. I mean, I literally had 48 hours. I wasn't sure what else to do. On Wednesday, 
five days after the bank failure, Tiffany was finally able to withdraw her company's money from SVB. So I've been able to pay myself back. Um, We have moved all of our money to that Bank of America account, and that's where we'll stay, Uh, and and I'm happy to be there. Today on the show, when seemingly all of Silicon Valley put their money at SVB, they unknowingly created a massive risk. So what do they do now? I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Tiffany Dufu is one founder with one company. But her experience, where it seemed like everyone she knew in the industry was banking with SVB, was pretty common. If I had asked you last year, or even maybe a few months ago, like, what's the relationship between Silicon Valley Bank and Silicon Valley? What would you have said? They're one and the same. That's Priya Anand, who covers startups and venture capital for Bloomberg News. According to Priya's reporting, SVB did business with 44% of venture-backed tech and healthcare companies that went public last year. SVB was part of the fabric of the tech community, even even tech companies outside of Silicon Valley specifically, um, outside of the Bay Area, outside of California. It was so enmeshed into the startup world that they were essentially one and the same. And who was banking with them? Companies of all stripes and sizes have worked with SVB and Even the wine industry in California banked with Silicon Valley Bank. They had a whole premium wine product. So this bank was not just a bank to people in the tech industry and to startup land. Can you tell me about why? Why did everybody go there? Well, here's one thing I heard from a fund manager late last week. And I feel like this kind of encapsulates just how much a part of the fabric Silicon Valley Bank was and why it was this special thing versus JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, every other option that a startup has. So this fund manager told me that she hosted a breakfast for female founders that was sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank. In three weeks from when we spoke, she was supposed to be hosting a breakfast for pre-seed founders that was sponsored by SVB. Pre-seed means before founders have even really raised any money at all for their company. And so this bank was out there networking with people, out there hosting events with people, whining and dining people from every every step of the way. I mean, from before a company's inception to when companies were much, much later stage and had become household names. And The thing is, it wasn't just startups that banked with SVB. It was the venture capital firms that backed startups. They had huge connections with this bank. Partners themselves would get loans from Silicon Valley Bank to fund their own commitments to their fund. The venture firms were banking with Silicon Valley Bank. SVB was like a friend, an investor, a financial institution, all kind of wrapped into one. Investors told Priya that SVB was willing to give startups a little bit of runway that maybe another bank wouldn't. SVB might be willing to wait and see if a product became profitable or might restructure a loan if things were tight for a startup. The bank was also good at nurturing personal relationships. 
If you had your business accounts there, for example, they'd help you out with favorable mortgage terms. And all of this was enabled by low interest rates. Thanks to the Federal Reserve, money had basically been free since the Great Recession, which meant it cost the bank very little to be generous. I want to talk about interest rates and what the low interest rate environment did for Silicon Valley. There is this detail in one of your stories that is just incredibly telling to me, that venture capital money more than quadrupled from 2007 to 2021. I mean, that's just an astonishing figure. What was the role that low interest rates played in making that happen, in in creating this explosion of money in Silicon Valley? There was an explosion of capital. Everything was getting funded, and companies that were getting funded were spending massive amounts on marketing because they had the money to throw around as well. Projects that were very moonshotty were getting a lot of investment. Last year, I wrote about a company that had layoffs and they're trying to make a beverage machine that they call the Star Trek kind of computer. It's like 3D printing any beverage, whether it's wine, coffee, sparkling water, juice. That's, those are the kinds of projects that people were funding. But then last spring, the Fed stepped in as inflation got out of hand. They were telegraphing that they would raise rates and keep raising rates, cutting off that spigot of easy money. Over the last year, the Fed's key interest rate has risen more than four percentage points. We started to see layoffs in the tech industry quite broadly, you know, this past fall and then a lot this winter. I wonder in terms of the founders that you talk to, like when do you think VCs and people in Silicon Valley realized that the interest rate party was over? I think last year is when we started to see these sort of wartime messages get disseminated. Um, and venture capitalists started talking about how, you know, in tough times, great companies are built. And they talked about the companies that survived the dot-com boom and have endured. And of course, you know, Amazon's a huge example of that. Um, for years, in Amazon's early days, people thought uh, it would struggle. There were projections that they wouldn't make it. Um, and look at Amazon now. Listening to you talk about this tide beginning to turn, but also listening to you talk about the concentration of companies and people who banked with SVB seems to just like lay out this incredibly problematic thing. I think in one of your stories, it was described as a massive counterparty risk. If you have this one bank banking with such a large portion of the industry and an industry that is suddenly slowing down. Silicon Valley Bank was a central artery for the tech industry, for the venture startups industry. And I think if you had told someone that, you know, years ago, even months ago, that one day it might fall, people wouldn't have believed you. A lot of people, founders and investors have texted me saying it's the end of an era. And it was a no-brainer when people started their companies to open a bank account with Silicon Valley Bank. And it didn't even cross anyone's mind that maybe they should have multiple bank accounts for their company, especially in the early stages. I spoke with one founder who is an immigrant from Pakistan, and she became a citizen just three months back. And she had all of her company's money parked with SVB. 
But she was telling me that back when she started her company, she worked with SVB and she didn't have a social security number yet because she wasn't a citizen yet. Um, her company has raised $14 million. She was rushing to move it over to Bank of America on Thursday. By the time she sent the wire over, it was just after 5 p.m. So her money was locked up there. Now more developments on the developing and important story around Silicon Valley Bank, the company facing what can only be described as a bank run. This one day after another high-tech bank, Silvergate Capital said it was liquidating. As you have probably heard by now, SVB fell victim to a pretty classic bank run. Customers whose businesses weren't so flush anymore wanted to get their money out, but the bank didn't have the cash to do that. Instead, it had bonds on its books that had fallen in value because interest rates went up. When it sold those bonds to generate cash last week, SVB had to tell the public it was taking a big loss. The bank tried to raise money with a stock sale, but at that point, it was clear that SVB's books were shaky. People started panicking, and nothing ignites a bank run like a loss of confidence. One of the things I want to explore is some of the moves that were going on in Silicon Valley precipitating this bank run. I, I wonder if you could explain the role of Peter Thiel's Founders Fund here. Well, we've reported that Founders Fund was among the firms to tell their companies that they should consider moving their money. When I started texting with investors and trying to understand what they were telling their portfolio companies and asking portfolio companies uh, what different firms were telling them, it became clear that even investors who at the start of Thursday were in watch and see mode and founders who were in, you know, wait and see what happens. Let's watch what's going on. SVB is a storied institution. We trust SVB. Even folks in that camp over the course of the day, as it became clear, other investors were telling their portfolio companies to maybe be aware of potential risk and consider diversifying their bank accounts. We're spreading that message as well. Investors told Priya that they had an obligation, even a fiduciary duty, to keep the companies in their network safe, even if that meant making the overall situation worse. One venture capitalist described it as sort of a prisoner's dilemma um, situation. And so there's, there's a lot of, I don't want to use the word hypocrisy around it, but there's a lot of pointing fingers around what's an individual decision and what's better for the collective and how should you guide your own companies, even if you think maybe for the collective, it would have been better um, that Silicon Valley Bank remain an institution in this industry. And to be clear, VCs, even folks who said that their companies should move their money, have come out in support of the bank, which seems like a strange dynamic, right, to be putting out statements in support of a bank that you told your companies to maybe move some of their money out of. Um, Oh, like they want, they they are appreciative of its role, but also like, yeah, but we want our companies to get out? Some of that happened. And then in the aftermath of SVB's collapse, we reported that more than 100 firms had signed on to a statement saying they support SVB. And if it were to reopen and be well capitalized, they'd encourage their companies to still do business. If someone else, you know, bought the bank and huh. it were propped back up into a good place. Um, I, I think there's, it's there's there's I think there's a lot of emotion in the industry right now around 
this bank and how to deal with the fact that people wanted their companies to move their money. Um, people didn't feel great about some of the risks Silicon Valley Bank had. Uh, but in the aftermath of its collapse, people seem to feel worse. And it's it's unclear what exactly all these statements of support that came out after the bank collapsed will actually lead to in the future. When we come back, VCs freak out on Twitter, then see themselves as heroes. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You know, I spent part of my weekend watching well-known venture capitalists like Jason Kalkanis and, and David Sachs like freak out on Twitter. I mean, truly lose it. I feel like, you know... I'm okay with standing behind that description. Calcanus was like posting images from from Mad Max Fury Road, which he later deleted. But I, w- I wonder if you could make an argument that like these guys who were out there trying to rally support for a, a federal backstop, like may have actually contributed to the bank run. I mean, that's not for me to ultimately decide, right? But what is clear is over the course of Thursday, even investors we were talking to who were in wait and see mode and said they trust Silicon Valley Bank, they they thought it would be stable. Um, One investor texted me that he was watching the histrionics play out around the situation. And then the bank did ultimately collapse, right? So it's, and then all these statements came out about we support this bank. And then, you know, there were calls for a federal backstop to guarantee deposits. And so it's, 
I think I think we're still in the phase where we're we'll need to sort out how exactly all this happened. Well, let me ask you this question. The counter argument is that perhaps these very public protestations helped push regulators and and Washington, you know, to backstop depositors. Uh, I wonder how Silicon Valley and VCs writ large see themselves in this drama. Are are they the good guys or are they the bad guys? I think people feel that they were the good guys for helping their companies get this deposit backstop. I think the industry sees it as a huge success that the, f- the fact that their companies didn't have to worry about making payroll. Startups are everywhere. I spoke with an investor who is a venture capitalist who actually only invests in companies that are based outside of Silicon Valley in places like Omaha and Indianapolis and Tallahassee. And that investor was worried about his companies and what this would do to employment prospects. And one of his companies that was based in Texas was figuring out a plan to do a pretty massive round of layoffs because they thought they wouldn't be able to pay people if they couldn't get access to their funds on Monday. So I think the industry saw it as a huge win that they could have this guarantee that deposits could get accessed on Monday. Um, And I think they saw themselves as heroes might be a dramatic word, but a version of it. What happens to these businesses and and founders and what have you now? Like, who do they go bank with? Who who is going to give them the kinds of care and feeding that Silicon Valley Bank was doing? Well, I don't think anyone can step in as a replacement for SVB and all that it was to the industry overnight, but there are some very clear winners, Um, some of them being the biggest banks in America. A lot of the founders I spoke with and venture capitalists I spoke with said that people are kind of flocking toward the bulge bracket banks, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America. One founder I spoke with said she picked Bank of America because what's safer than a bank that has America in the name? So I think the biggest banks will probably be huge beneficiaries of all this, and especially some of the large banks have been you know, investing in relationships in the tech sector for years um, and work on the IPOs for larger companies and things like that. So it feels like a fair prediction to say we'll probably see some of them swooping in to try to grab some business as more time passes. What does all of this mean for the the kinds of tech or products and companies that, that you and I use daily? Like, I wonder if there's a ripple effect. That's the question. And I think by the time most people actually are aware of a startup and its product and whatever it is, the company has gained a lot of traction and it's it's past those earliest stages where maybe in the past only SVB was willing to help them out with a loan when they were so small and they weren't making any profits yet. But that's not always the case. And I think what's clear is the easiest money is kind of gone for the industry. I think we won't really know what it means for, you know, the innovation engine of America and companies that get founded for years. I think it'll take years to see if anything actually changed. Because at the end of the day, a lot of the venture firms are still sitting on a lot of money that they have available to invest. And so it's unclear how much this will really change things. But what is clear is the easiest money is probably not going to be there anymore. And people are probably going to be even more cautious than they thought they were going to be at the start of this year. 
I am struck by how much venture capitalists and, and Silicon Valley kind of moves like a herd animal. And, and maybe that helps you when you're on the way up, right? Like following the playbook that somebody else used for success. But boy, does that seem like a huge weakness when there's a point of failure. Totally. People in this industry constantly talk about being contrarians, yet this industry has a lot of lemmings and there's a lot of pile on to whatever is the hot new thing. So anytime there's a hot new thing, you see just a ton of investment going into that, right? I mean, look at the rideshare wars a couple of years ago between Uber and Lyft and just all the money that was poured into those subsidies. I remember taking rides around San Francisco. I'm not kidding. I once took an Uber that was like 10 minutes long and it was, it cost me in the cents, not even a full dollar. And I would take rides across the city that were just a couple bucks. Like things were like, you'd be sitting in the car and you're like, how is it possible that I'm really only paying like $4 to go this like 45 minute distance or something like that. And that was all funded by VC dollars because there was this huge fervor around like winning that market. I covered the financial crisis of 2008, 2009. um, And I remember both the chaos and confusion, but then also the anger about public perception and, and the public anger at those bailouts. And in talking to you, It really sounds like maybe the investors who you've been talking to might not understand the public anger or public perception of what happened here. And maybe it's too soon to categorize everything that happened, but I wonder what lessons you think Silicon Valley is going to take away from this. Like, are are all those libertarians converted to to loving the Federal Reserve or is this is this something different? Like, how do they see this? Well, I think as sort of a general statement, people always in this industry want to think that they're different and think that they're the exception to everything else, right? When it comes to regulation in spaces that their companies operate in, they say that, you know, we don't count because regulation was for those kinds of companies and we're different. Everyone always wants to think they're different in this industry, even if it might not seem like what they're doing is different. So that I think is a general statement that's fair about Silicon Valley. And I don't think there's a full understanding yet of the public perception on this issue. A lot of investors are out there saying like there would have been more, you know, people think there would have been more decimation of the financial system had the government not stepped in. Which may well be deposits. True. It's hard which to may know. well be true. Which may well be true. I I don't know. I can't I can't predict what would have happened, right? None of us can. And people are still figuring out, companies are still figuring out, CEOs are still figuring out where to put their money. They're still making those decisions. There's still some sort of dust settling happening here. And I don't think the full public perception has sunk in. Priya Anand, thank you so much for talking with me and for sharing your reporting. Thank you for having me. Priya Anand covers startups and venture capital for Bloomberg News. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell and Patrick Ford. Our show is edited by Jonathan Fisher. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. 
And if you want a good breakdown of exactly how SVB failed, take a listen to Wednesday's episode of What Next. Mary Harris will walk you through it. All right, we will be back on Sunday with another episode. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.